The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. And welcome to Voices of Unity. I'm Ellen Debenport. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise so that you can dive deep into spiritual topics and discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. We're beginning a new series today, and at the beginning of every series, I tell you who I am. I don't do the whole bio every time, <laughs> but um, in addition to being the host and kind of an MC for this show, I'm a unity minister and the author of two books, The Five Principles and Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door. And after serving two churches in Texas, I'm now working at Unity World Headquarters, which is at Unity Village just outside Kansas City, Missouri. I'm in charge of the communications department. So I get to oversee most of the ways that Unity shares its message with the world, and online radio is one of them. But there are also magazines, books, booklets, websites, emails, social media. People all over the world are excited to be learning about the actually the ancient spiritual principles that are taught in Unity and called New Thought. Uh, especially as more and more of us describe ourselves as spiritual but not religious. So the guests on this show for Voices of Unity are sometimes Unity ministers and sometimes others who can share something special they have learned. It's a body of work. And they have more than they can say in just one hour, so they come back for several weeks in a row so we can truly explore their areas of special interest. Sometimes we talk about unity teaching specifically. I just finished a four-part series on Charles Fillmore with the Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck. Um, Sometimes it's more generally related to spiritual practice. So our new guest for this series for the next four weeks is Patricia Galino-Lansky. She is a unity minister in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, Thanks for being here, Patricia. Oh, thank you so much, Ellen, for having me. I'm glad you're here. So let me just remind the listeners that as we talk, please feel free to join in. If you're listening live on February 5th, 2019, 
The number to call is 816-251-3555. And as soon as we see that you are there, we'll stop and take your call. We're going to spend these four weeks talking about grief. And Patricia, I can hear the listeners already saying, ooh, that'll be depressing. Uh, (laughs) I think it won't because I've read your book about it. But how did you come to be a subject matter expert on grief? Wow, Ellen. Well, it's interesting. I believe that life actually schooled me uh, at the very beginning to take on this subject. Um, When I was a sophomore in high school, most of my girlfriends were more involved with wondering if they were going to get a date for the sophomore dance. And um, I was more concerned at that time with dealing with a three-year illness that my father was experiencing from cancer. Mm. Um, so, and for the next 23 years, nearly nearly a quarter of a century, I, I uh, experienced the deaths of seven members of my immediate family. So it was my father, uh, my little brother, my stepfather, my three uncles who lived with us at various times, as well as ending up with my mother at the end of that whole series. So for all of those years, I was um, in the face of um, prolonged illnesses. Most of them died of cancer. And uh, so it was a repeat of doctors and diagnoses and hospitals and treatments and death. Mm -hmm. And um, it really... um, was about almost every three years, another person would uh, have this experience in our family. And uh, through that time, I have to say that at the very beginning, I was quite frightened. I didn't know quite how to deal with all of that. And, you know, I can share with you more about it. But um, through that process, and then I went on to become a licensed clinical social worker, and I worked with many people with death and dying. And of course, now as a unity minister, that is, of course, part of of my work as well. And I have to say that through all of that, I have come to the other side of what is sad and depressing, as well as transcendent. Um, so there's there's a great deal more of a spiritual process that happens through all of that than one than what would meet the eye at the first glance. And so you ended up writing this book about it, and I love the title because it's not depressing. It is uh-huh. accepting accepting death, embracing life. How death teaches us to live. Yes. So yes. it's and it's about how you have learned to live based on these deaths that you went through? Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, another reason why I really wanted to uh, immediately write this book when I did was because I had a very dear friend and um, she went through a a very difficult dying process. And most of it um, was made so difficult because she really did not know what to expect. Um, as she was dying. She um, had a lot of regrets and unfinished business. Um, She had um, a lot of fear around 
what would happen to her? Would God accept her? Um, Because she wasn't perfect and Mm. none of us are. And um, I just felt, you know, I had experienced a lot of confusion around death and dying. My friend obviously was demonstrating that to me again. And I just thought, you know, there is a way through this. I know that I can help people to not have to go into so much fear. I know that I can help them to be prepared for death because death, like birth, is just another part of life. Um, And if we can know what to expect, I think that's 90% of the fear that we have when we're confused and we don't know what will happen. So um, that was another reason to write the book and to know that I could help people with this. I'll tell our listeners, Patricia and I were on a group call the other day, planning, uh, Unity's planning a booklet about grief. And so we gathered together some people who know a lot about it and have written and taught. And oh my gosh, it's just an enormous topic. There are so many different ways to approach it. And, And it seems to me that even in my lifetime, it's become acceptable to talk about death and dying and grief. It's been referred to as the great taboo. Is it, yes, I mean, it is. What, what's wrong with us as a, as a society that we can't <laughs> handle death? Well, it's, it's such an interesting question because uh, in my lifetime, it has really begun to transform as well in our culture. And I'm so glad about it. You know, one of the very first writers and advocates for really embracing life uh, and and realizing that death is just part of life was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I know she's very famous. And she was a medical doctor. And she she really began to write about and change the consciousness in the Western culture about death and dying. Um, And so because of her, pioneering the way, and then several others after her who wrote and spoke about this. Um, It is slowly and beautifully changing to not being the complete taboo that it used to be. Mm -hmm. And this is so very important because, uh, and and also it's not like this throughout the world, as as you may know. There are other cultures that are... um, I would say, as a culture more steeped in their spirituality, such as the the Buddhist Tibetans or uh, the Native Americans, um, who actually include um, death and dying as part of their spiritual teachings and their spiritual training. And I know that we have several weeks to go through this, and on the third week, I'm hoping to really talk at length about that, how other cultures can view death and dying. Okay. But but we're catching up, you know, in the West, in the Western culture. Uh, I believe because our culture is essentially a secular culture, that um, this topic of death and dying is, a, is actually a very sp- spiritual uh, component of our lives, because it really just brings up all of the very deep and major questions that life presents to us. Like, you know, who am I? Why am I here? Um, what 
or who is God? How do I relate to that? Where will I go after I die? Do I go on? You know, all of these questions are deeply spiritual. So I feel that our Western culture was um, just in denial of it for quite a while. But like you say, we are changing. And, um, um, and you know, one of the interesting things, I, I love movies a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I've seen a great deal of them. And what I noticed was, um, you know, the movies reflect our culture as it's changing, I, I find. And not until 1983, um, in the movie Terms of Endearment, did I notice a very clear scene in that movie where the mother who was in the hospital, in a hospital bed, she was dying of cancer. And there was a scene in that movie where her two children were brought to see her. And she spoke very directly to them about the fact that she was dying. Mm-hmm. I remember um, that. Yeah. It was sad. Of course, it was very, very sad. But that breakthrough was reflective of our society being able to begin to really talk about the reality of of death and dying, which is part of life. So I, I was so very pleased to see that that was being reflected. And of course, now there are all kinds of materials around on the web and books about death and dying and grief and how to how to deal with this which you know is is i'm very very grateful about you know i hadn't thought about that scene in terms of endearment because she Mm. was very direct she didn't say oh i'll be out of the hospital soon don't worry Mm. about me it was goodbye Uh, yes and she said the final thing she wanted them to hear But I grew up in a family where we didn't talk. We didn't really talk. And we didn't have many feelings that we were allowed to show. Is that, don't you think there's a no talk rule? Or or let me ask it this way. With all the deaths in your family, did they handle it in a healthy way? Well, the irony is not too much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, no, we, we really did have a no talk rule in, in our family too. Now I have to say my parents did try at the beginning of my life. Um, and uh, my grandmother died when I was six and, and they did take me to see her body, you know, laid out in the casket. Um, so I give them great kudos for that. Um, uh, however, Nothing prepared me for when my father was ill, when I was, you know, a teenager. And in fact, um, I did not know what was wrong with him. I knew that he was ill. Um, He um, had some treatments he was having. They said radiation on his throat. Um, I knew he wasn't feeling well, um, but we didn't talk about it. And, and, my frame of reference at that time was, you know, people do get sick, but then they get well again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any differently than that. Um, and I realized that uh, even the day that, um, that he died, 
um, when my mother came home and told me I was supposed to go and relieve her that morning at the hospital, she had stayed overnight the night before with my dad. That morning when she came home, met me at the house and said, you don't have to go to the hospital. Dad died this morning. I was in shock because we had never had that conversation mm. where, where he said, you know, I'm not going to be here. I'm dying. Um, uh, they're not able to cure this cancer. Um, I love you, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever he was going to say to me and whatever I was going to say to him, that conversation never happened. And for me, that created um, like a double loss, I would say, mm -hmm. because um, I not only lost him, but I lost that closure. I lost that last conversation, that last experience that terms of endearment had, you right. know, in, in that movie. I didn't have it. And um, I know that my parents were um, doing the best they could in terms of, you know, trying to um, not put me into this kind of a despair or whatever. But I know they were meaning the best about it, but it really was not the best. Uh, the no talk rule was very hard. And, um, you know, as, as you probably feel that, the family secrets are so harmful you, because the, the person who's being kept out of the loop really does have a sense that something is going wrong here. Of course I knew that. But um, there was no way to broach the subject. There was no way... Um, I did at one point, somebody mentioned that dad might have cancer. And I said, does dad have cancer? And they said, yes. And that was the end of the conversation. Oh. So it was like, you know, okay, well, I guess from their reaction, that means I shouldn't really talk about this. You know, maybe maybe we're not supposed to. I, I didn't know. I was confused. But... I certainly didn't see an opening there to begin the conversation any more than what I had. So, um, you know, our self-expression is, is really our path to freedom. If, if we can't talk about something, it's, um, there's no way to move past it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but is, um, is this yeah. a good place to pause and talk a little about children? And mm. what is appropriate for them if a grandparent yes. or even a sibling is dying? Mm -hmm. And where do parents get help with that? Yes. Well, you know, there was nothing written back then. But um, what I would suggest is that you um, take your cues from your child. Um, if they ask a question, uh, like, for instance, I did a direct question, I was a teenager. My brother was 10, so he was perhaps in a, a different developmental stage, of course, than I was. And then you might have little children, you know, between around the age of five. Mm -hmm. So all of those three areas you could look at quite differently. Um, for me, I asked the question, does, does dad have cancer? Okay, that is an opening. The parent um, 
should be looking for any opening that the child has some awareness of what is going on, you know, and then they can start to be more open-ended questioning to begin with. Like um, uh, maybe a question to me, yes, what, what do you know about cancer? What, what do you think cancer is? You know, to, to pursue that, um, that line of questioning uh, so to elicit what the child knows, first of all, and then um, as you see that they are open to it, you can begin to put in the, the facts. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, your dad has been sick for two years now. Um, the treatments, you know, are are not really helping. You know, we, we don't know, um, you know, how long he's going to live. You know, and, and to, to begin that conversation and to say, absolutely to say, this, we can talk about this anytime you want. And we are here to answer any questions that you have. No question is out of bounds. And, and we want you to know that uh, you are with us in this. You are with us every step of the way. And uh, we are here for you. You will be, f you will be fine through this, you know. Um, th these kind of things to help the child. Mm, but that's such heavy news to lay on a child. I can understand why parents don't want to do it. Oh, absolutely. And, and how can they um, imagine what the child will experience or be feeling. You know, they, they might have no feelings. They might have a lot of feelings. You know, can they be prepared for this expression of feeling? It is a hard conversation, yet it is real. And it will, um, it will be the reality, as it, as it was for me, if the person dies. What is so very important about having the conversation before the person dies is that you have an opportunity to say things to that person that you would want to say, mm -hmm. especially that you love them, you know, and, and to, to have time that is precious together, to really have an opportunity to um, have your questions answered while while you still can have that person to talk to. You know, I, I know things about my father, um, but if I knew that he, he was here with me for even a day more, um, I, would, I would have asked him so many questions mm -hmm. about his life and about, oh, so many things that I didn't have that chance, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it is a hard conversation. It's, it's one of the hardest, but you will have that conversation either before or after the death. So I say it's better before the death mm -hmm. than after. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned along the way is that grief isn't something that starts when someone dies. Mm. It, it, if you know that it's coming, uh, it can start long before, can't it? Oh yes, that is so true, Ellen. We um, in psychology we call it anticipatory grief mm -hmm. um, because um, you know with with a, 
uh, a dying process that's elongated, like like from cancer, um, you do have that opportunity to um, contemplate, you know, I, I won't be with this person forever. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like without them. Um, you have that opportunity for however long you know about perhaps their diagnosis. Um, and in a way, that's, that's a good thing because you can um, tie up loose ends. You can ask the important questions you've always wanted to know the answers to. You can be with the person in a way that is so uh, precious and so beautiful and so um, healing. Uh, I'll use the word healing. Mm -hmm. Um, for yourself, the, the loved one who's maybe the caregiver, as well as for the dying person. Because to have that kind of um, love expressed um, can be healing to a relationship, to a life that maybe didn't have that kind of unconditional love throughout their time. Um, and if you know you have a certain limited amount of time together, what a gift that is to, to give that unconditional love and that care to the person um, and for them to give it to you as well. I have, um, I have a couple yeah. of friends who have been caregivers for their husbands who had dementia. Mm. And one of their, <clears throat> excuse me, Hang on. Mm -hmm. One of their great frustrations was that they weren't able to talk with him about anything, but particularly about this huge dying process that was going on. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think they were felt angry and cheated about that. Yes, yes. I can well understand that, uh, that angry and cheated is how I felt too, not mm -hmm. being able to talk to my dad. Absolutely. And yet, you know, some of the, the research about Alzheimer's and dementia um, indicates that there, there is a place in that person that uh, who cannot communicate directly to, to you, but that they, are, they have places within them, maybe pockets within their brain that still are, is conscious and that there is still a consciousness there. Like what we say about people who are in uh, a coma. Uh, the research shows that uh, coming out of a coma, sometimes they, can, they knew what was going on, even though they could not respond. So mm -hmm, uh, right. I, I find that very, very hopeful. And of course, it's, you know, with, with someone who's not responding to you, it, it's a monologue. But if you rely on the, um, the findings nowadays that, that there is consciousness still in that being, you know, and uh, if you talk to them, if you pray with them, I believe that those messages do get through. Um, but, of course, the, the other side is you would love so much to have them communicate directly with you. But it is nice to think that they're absorbing it, at least on an energetic level. I think so. Yeah. Yes. So let's take a break. We'll have a few messages, and then we'll be back with Reverend Patricia Gulino-Lansky 
talking about grief. This is Ellen Devonport with Voices of Unity. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate Today. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Blair Tabor from Unity San Diego, taken from a talk called Sacred Service, The Ultimate Spiritual Growth. Who we are and who we perceive ourselves to be as human beings is just such a small part of who we are as spiritual beings. You remember the phrase that I like, you know, Emily Cady says, God did not make you to be spiritual pygmies, but spiritual giants. You know, and do we live as if we're spiritual giants? No, we don't. We live, we live as if we're you know, weak human beings. You know, we're spiritual giants. We need to live that way in our lives. So we have to let go of the ego. It's a challenge because we spent so much energy and focus on, on our ego on dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and looking a certain way and and aligning ourselves in certain ways to to uphold that ego identity. But as we're willing to let that go, let it be permeable to spirit, then what we find is we're connected to that infinite oneness that is God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Now's the time to register for this year's Heart of Healing Retreat, hosted by the leaders of the Silent Unity Prayer Ministry. Imagine coming to the beautiful campus of Unity Village with its fountains and rose garden to rest and renew your spirit as you explore the spiritual principles of healing. You'll spend time in silence as well as celebration. The retreat is April 25th to 28th with an early bird discount before March 1st. Visit unity.org slash silentunityretreat. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore and other legendary Unity teachers with Reverend Bob Brock and Unity Classic Radio. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central, Bob shares original radio transcripts from the Unity Archives with truth students worldwide. Explore these timeless teachings and learn how to apply them to your life today. Listen live or on demand. You can also connect with Reverend Bob on his Unity in Action Facebook page. Tune in every Tuesday here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. 
Hey, we're back with Voices of Unity. We're in the middle of a fascinating conversation about grief with Reverend Patricia Galino-Lansky. But before we continue, Patricia, tell people how to find out more about you. Okay, thanks, Ellen. Well, um, I have a website called embracingyourlife.net. And um, the book that I wrote about this subject is called Accepting Death, Embracing Life, How Death Teaches Us to Live. And if you go on my website, I do have a link where you can order the book right there. And I also have um, a blog that I've started. And uh, each week of Ellen's show for these four weeks of February, um, if you go on the website, you can go to the blog and there will be um, a series of other questions for you to reflect on or to go deeper in your own process. And I call it sacred process. It's uh, similar to what I have at the end of every chapter in my book, but this way you can access it through the website. Um, so the first one will be uh, your own acculturation. So you can go on the website, embracingyourlife.net, go to the blog part of the book, and uh, find some more questions if you want to delve even more deeply into your own way of uh, coming to understand and be with this topic of death and dying and grief and loss and, and even caregiving. Mm -hmm. oh, and I'm also at uh, Unity of Charlottesville uh, as the minister. Uh, we have our, our Sunday services every Sunday at 1030. So Come over if you're nearby and say hello. It is a beautiful church in a beautiful town. I love Virginia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so back to grief and death. And um, Your father died when you were a teenager, but he'd been sick for three years. That must yes. have had a huge impact on your family. What, what did you learn and what do you wish could have been different? Well, um, of course, as we were saying before, I wish that I knew that he... Uh, was dying when that was when that was the case, and I wish I knew more about what he was going through uh, because it just brought up a lot of confusion. Um, and also, uh, two other things I, I think it's really important for people to know is that um, my father, although he'd been in the hospital for quite a while before he died. Um, when I went to see him the day before he died, he really rallied. He was um, happy and laughing and uh, joking with the nurses and with my mom. And I thought, wow, this oh, does does this mean that he's he's getting better? Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, I had never seen him so so happy in in so many months. You know, mm -hmm. and um, so I thought he was going to, wow, this looks great. You know, this looks like he's going to be better. And um, um, what I came to realize afterwards is that um, very often a person can rally um, 24 hours or so before they actually die. And uh, not knowing that, that was another confusion for me. Um, but I think that it's it's probably moving into the idea of surrender, that he was um, at the point where he let go 
And I believe whenever we can surrender to what is, um, it can be accompanied by a joy, a relief, a release perhaps. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he was experiencing that day. But that was a huge learning for me. And and the other learning was um, I didn't know how angry I was at him uh, for for dying, for leaving me and not knowing the truth about his condition. And, um, and my guilt for not being there with him when he died was just tremendous. Mm-hmm. And um, this went on for a long time. Um, and the learning that I would like people to know is that it is really the person's choice when they die, how they die, and with whom they die. And I've seen this over and over ever since, that their soul needs to leave in the way that is best for them. Um, And so it's not to be taken personally. Um, For instance, I know a family that um, they were by their, their father's side continually for weeks and weeks knowing that the end was coming soon and um they were totally exhausted and Mm -hmm. finally a nurse suggested why don't you just go down the hall to the waiting room and sleep and i will be here if you know if i see that he's starting to go i'll come and call you well no sooner did they leave the room that he died and and i believe that he that soul needed to leave without the loved ones around him and it's just what they need you know it's nothing about you (laughs) so uh, those things i think can help people very very much um because they might feel oh you know feel guilty oh i shouldn't have left him alone right you know he died uh, alone Yes, yes. My grandfather died alone, and we had this conversation, Uh and my mother said, sometimes people need privacy to die, Mm. which I think helped my grandmother uh, with not being there. Mm -hmm. It it must be that the energy of the loved ones around the hospital bed pull on the person who's dying and, you know, make it hard to just leave. I think that's so true, Ellen. I really have experienced that, um, particularly with my little brother when he died. Um, there, we could see that when we said his name or we um, started engaging him, he would like come back, you know. And then when we were quiet, he could move move apart. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So it it really is what that soul needs and yes sometimes they have to be in private to to die the pull sometimes is just so strong from the living well talk about your brother's death because that's huge too how old were you yes. then i was um about 20 something early 20s and uh his name was mark and uh no, I was 30, excuse me, 31, and he was in his early 20s. Um, he was uh, severely mentally uh, delayed mm-hmm. all of his life and uh, just a really um, incredible soul. Uh, 
talk about teaching a family. He taught us so very much about unconditional love, about what it means to be a being um, without the conventional skills or attributes, you know. Um, but he 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 was a light in our family. And um, when Mark died, um, I was blessed to be there with him at, at his side. And so was my other brother and my mother. And um, one thing that uh, reminds me of what you're saying is uh, my brother started talking to him, calling him, and mom said, no, no, don't call him back. Don't call him back. Mm. And so as we waited, um, when he died, I had an experience that was very sacred to me. Um, I had an experience that his soul um, moved out of his body through the top of his head and that it, it hovered above, above his body and above us in the room. And um, I know since, uh, since this has happened, there are other people who have had a similar experience because um, what I experience, what other people have as well, is that the soul is real and it, uh, it does leave the body. The body is no longer needed. Mm -hmm. um, the body is kind of limp, uh, like we often say, like a suit of clothes that you take off. Um, that analogy is so apt because I'll tell you that Mark was, um, as I say, delayed, and anybody could read that on his face. You know, you could see somebody with a disability, um, and he had osteoporosis, early osteoporosis, and so his he could not lay flat on the bed. He he was twisted. His uh, like his left leg was over his right, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like a, a corkscrew twist. And after he died, within minutes, um, his body relaxed, and he was straight. His legs were straight. We did not move him. Um, it was as if this. Um, essence within him moved out of his body and his body could just be flat there on the bed mm. you know it was no longer inhabited by by that energy of his his soul's path in that lifetime and so it was it was quite a miraculous experience to witness and to know that who mark was was not the disabled being. That right. was like a, a mask that he uh, had inhabited for his lifetime. Mm -hmm. But that who he was was really a pure and eternal soul that uh, could go on, you know. How did you know he was hovering? Could you see it? I could see and feel it. Um, it was like a cloudiness um, that that I felt there. You know, like if if somebody's standing behind you in in real, uh, really standing behind you, you can feel that energy mm -hmm. without turning around and seeing that there's somebody there. That's how it felt. It felt like there he is 
over there now. He's there. And it, um, it was real to me. And, and I have to say, Alan, that um, through all of my religious teachings about the soul, I never really got it until that moment that it is absolutely true that the soul is real. It does go on. It, um, when it inhabits our body, we are alive. And when it leaves our body, we become a, a lifeless corpse, mm -hmm. you know? And, and the difference is dramatic. If you see a person living and then dead, you know that there's something that's gone. There's something that's no longer inhabiting that flesh. Right. That soul, that light or energy. Yes. Wow. Okay, yes. so we've talked about deaths where you knew it was coming and you didn't know it was coming. And where you got to say goodbye and you didn't. Uh, talk about closure. I hear all the time people mm -hmm. need closure. Do we always have a choice? Well, um, I believe that we do. I mean, you know, I didn't have closure with my father before he died, but there were other ways to achieve closure, and that's very important. Um, closure to me is, is absolutely so important for not having it with my father, I saw how very difficult that can be. And I wanted to share with you and, and our listeners a very interesting experience that I learned about, um, about closure. Why is it so important? Um, you may remember back in uh, December of 1988, there was the terrorist bombing of the Pan Am Flight 103 mm -hmm. over Lockerbie, Scotland. Mm -hmm. And as happened, all 259 people on board died and 11 people on the ground were also killed. And I heard a woman, uh, she was um, a wife of one of the men who died on that plane. Uh, she went around and spoke about her experience and it was incredible. She she said that when this happened, all of the families of the Pan Am um, people were brought together and um, they were allowed, if they wanted to, to see the remains of their loved ones or not. Uh, it was absolutely up to them. And wow. she said about half of the families chose to see the their dead relative um, and about another half of them chose not to. And um, she said, of course, you know, they were, I'm sure it was quite a gruesome scene that had happened. Um, so it might not be the whole body. It might be, yeah, okay. you know, yeah. legs, etc. cetera. Um, but half of them chose to see it. Half of them didn't. So, and these families got to be together as support groups every so often. Um, after 10 years, she remarked that those families who saw their beloved's remains uh, were in the process of resolving their grief. The ones who did not see the remains stayed unresolved and showed more complicated grief. They were more stuck in the past, and they were, some of them still struggling to believe that the end had really come to their 
their loved one, that the loved right. one had really, really died. Right. And so in this case, you can see how very important closure was, very powerful. Um, I, I have and, a story about this. Do you? So okay. when I was in my 30s, I, during my days as a reporter, I had a really good friend in the newsroom, Paul, who went off to be a foreign correspondent. And he went mm. to live in Islamabad and one day was flying, I'm not sure where, but the plane crashed in the Himalayas. Mm. And they never found the crash site. So his family didn't get a body back. I don't know if they could have gotten to the site even if they knew where it was. Mm. And I was really surprised how how affected I was by not having a body. There wasn't mm. a grave to visit. There wasn't anything at the service. Um, mm. It it really bothered me. And for a long time, I would think I saw him in crowds or on the street. And I would think, you know, maybe maybe it was all a mistake. He'll show up one yes. of these days. And it's I, I just didn't expect to react that way. But it was really powerful. Mm-hmm. This is this is a beautiful example that you just shared. Yeah, it's it's like it it's never done. You know, you can think up of a million scenarios. Maybe he wasn't on that flight. Mm-hmm. How how do you know? They never found it. You know, maybe he he wanted to go off and do something else. You know, like you're saying, it's it just it doesn't let you rest. It doesn't let you end. It doesn't let you move on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the the thing is, death will not harm the living. Mm. <laughs> death is nothing to be afraid of. It, it can set you free. Um, and truly, we are all stronger than death. Um, so if we can embrace the reality of what's going on as a part of life, that we know that we will all experience at some time, we can we can move on and and really um, live life more fully. And there are many ways to have closure. Um, that's why I feel that um, the ending uh, rituals are very good because ritual can help us to transcend the ordinary. Um, you mean I know like a funeral. For- like a funeral or celebration of life service, mm-hmm. uh, which many people are doing much more now, um, funerals seem to be more in the despair. Uh, celebration of life um, rituals are more about celebrating the life that they did have, you know, and what they did in their life. And what I have noticed in these, uh, either one, you know, can work very well about having closure. However, um, what I've noticed is when people participate in an end of life ritual, like a celebration of life service, it actually can lift um, the survivor's grief up. It, it can lift it off them into a shared sense of peacefulness, um, a release from holding on to the loved one and really allowing to let them go. Um, I, I know that closure is crucial for being able to move on. Um, and, and I could see this in gatherings, you know, where people would come in, they'd be so filled with grief. And after the sharing, see, this is about 
sharing and talking about these stories of their loved ones, hearing other people say about uh, wonderful things that they remember. There can even be times in these services, not only of tears, but of laughter, yeah. you know, because because you're you're reviewing this person's life and what they meant to you and what they've done. And um, I can see people walking out of that service. I have seen people just feeling lighter um, because they they were able to share this with other people who loved them and loved their beloved. Yeah, and you and I have both led a lot of memorial services, and yes. you've probably had the same experience. Someone who is not a unity person, not a member of the church, will come up afterwards and say, I'm leaving feeling better than when I came in, and they're stunned. Yes. And I always yes. want to say, good, that was the goal. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, and they're amazed that um, – that there is so much joy in that service as mm -hmm. well right. can be yes yes and it's isn't it the comfort that we all share with each other too and um it's it's really it can be a very beautiful experience so let's talk a little before we go about um oh gosh we have about four minutes okay about after a death handling holidays and stuff and next week we'll talk more about embracing the feelings of grief yes uh, what to expect in grief but everyone i think dreads those first holidays one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me after my mother died a friend mm. sent me a card on mother's day and i am not a mother she sent it to say i know you must be thinking of your mother today and i'm thinking of you oh. and i thought oh that's wonderful oh. That really is very, very thoughtful. Um, yes, we will talk more about all of the feelings that come up around this next week and uh, ways ways to navigate those feelings. Um, the holidays, you know, we just passed, well, some significant holidays. Um, and uh, there's also a special anniversaries. Um, you know, it... Valentine's Day is coming up. There may be, mm -hmm. you know, that might be a very, very important day for someone uh, who lost a spouse or a, a loved person. Um, and and also special events like, um, you know, your eldest daughter is getting married, right. you know, and your, your husband is not there. Um, these are all very important times when you will most probably... Um, miss and remember your loved one in a new way, you know, and wish that they were there. Um, let's talk about holidays particularly. You have all the permission in the world, and I am a unity minister, I give you this permission. <laughs> <laughs> you can cancel any holiday that you wish to. Oh. If it doesn't feel right to you to celebrate Christmas, uh, the way that you have always done for nigh on so many years, you don't have to. You can do it the way that feels right to you this year. It doesn't mean that you will never celebrate Christmas again. Maybe next year you'll look at it and say, oh, yeah, I want to do this part of Christmas next year. Mm -hmm. But you do not have to do it. 
And you can make your own rituals and you can relook at the rituals that you always did and say, you know, I just don't have the energy to put up decorations. You don't have to do that. Um, I don't really feel that sending out a hundred cards this Christmas is going to hmm. be forwarding to my process. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do that. Um, and people will understand and if they don't, it's okay too. Um, but it's really up to you. What do you need for this Christmas? Maybe what you need is to be alone. Maybe you need to be with some friends to do something completely different that you ever did at Christmas time. These are important choices that you have the right to make for your own process, for your own grieving process. Wow, thank you. That's wonderful permission. Mm, Not absolutely. to have to do it the way we've always done it. I would imagine there are sometimes kids or relatives, you know, saying you ought to go through with it. You shouldn't allow yourself to feel grief at the holidays. Everyone mm. has an opinion about how to grieve, don't they? They sure do. They sure do. <laughs> we'll get into that more next very, week, too. Very personal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... um Oh, gosh, the clock is ticking down. I wanted to ask you about forgiveness as okay. part of an ending. It, yes. Well, is yeah, it possible ahead. around death? Is that even a good time to attempt it? Oh, so very much. And uh, we'll just touch on it today. We'll, we'll pick it up another week, I'm sure. But um, remember that forgiveness is closure also. And um, if you can forgive someone... Um, this is, this is very important because so many times, and forgive yourself, because a lot of times uh, they say that the uh, everything is fueled with regrets at death. If you can forgive yourself, you're well on the way to healing. All right. The final word from yes. Patricia Galina Lansky. We'll be back next week with Voices of Unity and more learning about grief. See you then. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.